You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Isaiah tonight. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 6. Very appreciative of the opportunity to be here and to preach to you, and uh, it's a blessing to be here with my favorite son-in-law, and uh, we uh, have one daughter, but anyway, and uh, so we're, uh, we're thankful that the Lord let us uh, take this trip, and uh, it's uh, humbling, you know, to stand and preach the Word of God, and uh, want to do uh, what the Lord wants us to do tonight, do some business with Him, and, uh, and things, and so... Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard also the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Pray, Father, thank you tonight for your word and God for the truths that are there and the God, the things that we can see. And Lord, for being able to take an honest look at ourselves and then God to be so cleansed to the point that God, we can be available to serve you. And so Lord, tonight I pray that you would just do a work here in our hearts and our lives. I pray again for your filling in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Several churches on the West Coast, maybe 12 or 14 of them, kind of made a decision together that during the month of June, we would encourage our churches with uh, prayer and fasting. We certainly see a lot going on in our nation and a lot that needs to be changed. And we see a lot on the line of this upcoming election and things like that. And so there were some things that we felt like it would be right for us to pray and to fast about. But one of the things that I felt like I needed to do and I encouraged our church to do was to strive to be clean before God, for God to show us things in our lives that maybe we hadn't seen before, to cleanse our lives, remove anything that was between us and the Lord. We were seeking for him to reveal those things to us, those things that needed to be dealt with. And, you know, it's wise in fasting that we seek to humble our souls. Now, I don't know about you, but my soul doesn't humble 
easily. First of all, the biggest problem that I have is that it already thinks it is humble. It already thinks it is humble. Secondly, self doesn't really care to linger in looking at self. Now, I don't mind looking at other people and seeing all the bad things about them. It's quite a different thing when it's looking at myself. When we do take that time to look at ourselves, it actually can be rather overwhelming. Thoughts like this can come like, you know, I thought I was doing pretty well. I'd forgotten about that. You know, that looks a whole lot worse than I thought it did. The Bible is a mirror. It's a wonderful mirror. In James chapter 1, you know, the verses there, 23 through 25 says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." That mirror, this mirror, if you will, the Bible, will reveal our true condition. So I was studying for this message, and I was preparing, and I thought, there's an exercise that I've never done that I thought I would do. So I stepped into the restroom of my office where there was a mirror. And I decided to take up a, take a close look at myself in the mirror, and I brought a pencil and a pad of paper and I decided I was going to write down everything I saw that was not right. I started writing, I wrote, I see the scars on my nose from skin cancer and where other skin was grafted. I saw the scar down the middle of my forehead where they took skin and they flopped it down to cover up the hole that they had made on my nose. I saw the scar on my cheek from when I was 12 years old. I saw a lot of wrinkles. Thank you, Brother Samuel, for singing, Where We'll Never Grow Old. It happened here for me. I'm glad it's not going to happen there. I saw red color from the so-called skin chemo that I had. Some of you are familiar with that stuff. I saw age spots. I saw baldness and I saw wild hair. I saw hair in my ears, in my nose, and on my nose. I saw hair between my eyebrows. I saw places I had missed shaving. I'm not lying, I did all of this, I wrote all this down. I saw saggy eyelids, I saw a bump on my left eyelid. I saw moles on my neck. I saw sagging skin from being overweight and being old. Now, at this point, it kind of seems funny, but at that moment, it didn't really seem all that funny. Because, you know, the closer I got to the mirror, the more I saw. It helps me to be fully aware that my wife's love is more than skin deep. I appreciate that. (laughs) It just may be, though, that as you begin to look at yourself spiritually, you have that same kind of reaction. You come to that same place you, to see how bad off we really are spiritually. It can be almost depressing. 
It can bring you to a place where you almost have no answer, like nothing to say. Like, I'm just through with me. You ever get to that point spiritually? Almost to the point of hopelessness. It can bring you to a place of despair and, and even wanting to give up. Now, I'm going to take us through this story of Isaiah here. And spiritually, I believe Isaiah had one of those moments. He saw himself as he was, and it stopped him. Woe is me. But then something absolutely amazing and wonderful happened in the life of Isaiah. What happened then should be an encouragement to all of us because Isaiah didn't stay there long in his answerless condition, if you will. It didn't take him long to see value in his being. It didn't take him long to see he could draw very close to the Lord. So I want you to follow with me. First of all tonight, in this passage, Isaiah saw the Lord as he was and as he is. Now, as you read through this, you saw this happen. The Bible mentions it was in the year that King Uzziah died. And I think that probably if you catch the way that God words this, He's helping us to understand that maybe to this point, Isaiah had had his eyes on King Uzziah. And it said also in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord. Also, that word is kind of interesting. He had his eyes on Uzziah. For 52 years, Uzziah had been the king. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God had made him to prosper. And uh, he was godly, and God blessed him, and God blessed the nation. So it makes sense that a, this would be a big influence on a young prophet wanting to know how to live for the Lord and serve the Lord. And so he would have watched and paid attention. But some, then something happened in the life of Uzziah that would have just shaken Isaiah to the core. Uzziah, you know, he got full of himself. He got full of pride. And uh, he thought he could go in and usurp the office of the priest. And actually he went in to burn incense into the tabernacle. And the priest, you know, of course, if you remember the story, they withstood him and he got angry at them. And of course, then God struck him with leprosy. And in fact, he had from that moment on to live in a leper house the rest of his life and his son had to take over the duty of being king. And then Uzziah died. And I'm sure as a young prophet, having his eyes on a king who had, for the most part of his life, served the Lord and then saw this happen, it had a profound effect upon him. And it may, have, it may have caused Isaiah to just stop and say, Lord, I need to see you. Well, there's some times in our lives when there's just things in our lives that are so disappointing and it ought to get us to the point where we say, you know, Lord, I just need to see you. I just need to see you. And, and, and maybe that's what happened. And so God, the Lord, allows Isaiah to have this vision. And I'm so glad he did because you and I get to see the Lord as Isaiah saw him. And so he saw the Lord as he is. The Bible tells us that he was sitting upon a throne. By the way, he is the Lord of lords, you know. He saw him high and lifted up, exalted above all, if you will. Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. 
The Bible says his train filled the temple. That is the skirt of his robe. It was glorious. It was befitting to the one who had no equal. Above the throne stood the seraphims. The Bible tells us, by the way, they're only mentioned twice in Scripture, and it's both times here in Isaiah 6. The root word of that word seraphim means burning ones. See, they're stationed there in the throne room of God. They have six wings, right? With twain, they cover their face. With twain, they cover their feet. And with twain, they did fly. I I was reading one writer, and he brought out something I had not paid attention to before, that it's like there were six, you know, wings there, Four of them were used in adoration because with twain they covered his face, with twain he covered his feet. That's kind of like an adoration to the Lord, and with twain he did fly. It was kind of like his adoration was twice as much as his service. You get to thinking about us, we're all about serving God, but we don't adore God like we should. You know, it's kind of like the whole the thing that was sung about this morning, the whole Martha and Mary thing. We need that time in adoration. We need that time in closeness to the Lord. We find that these seraphims are promoters of something that one day all of us will get to experience. I say all of us, especially those of us that know the Lord is our Savior. We will get to be there and experience the holiness of God. They are promoters of that holiness. They spend their time in the presence of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible tells us, that as they spake those words, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. Such was the force and energy of that statement about the Lord being holy that the doorpost actually moved. The Bible says smoke filled the house. That's a token, by the way, of the glory of God. In Revelation 15, 8, it says, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. So, since I said Isaiah saw the Lord as he is, can I just give you a little brief description of how he is? He's high, he's glorious, and he's holy. He's high far above any other creature, far above any man. He is glorious far above any creature, far above any man. He is holy far above any creature, far above any man. Isaiah saw the Lord as he is. And it had a profound effect upon him. And the thing that happened as a result of that is Isaiah saw himself as he was. Look at verse 5 again. Then, it tells us, it's, it, 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 it's relating the story in, in chronological order. He saw the Lord as he was. Then, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when Isaiah saw the Lord as he was, it made him see himself as he was. In his words, woe is me. It's a passionate cry of grief or despair. See, in light of the holiness and the highness, the glory of God, Isaiah realized he did not come anywhere close to what God was. It must have made him feel really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. For him, knowing who he was and what was in his life, to come to this vision of God, it made him very uncomfortable as he saw God as he was and he began to see himself as 
he is. The fact is, he probably understood some things that the scripture spells out for us. Things like, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, you can't stand in the presence of God and not realize your own sinfulness. He saw that in his flesh, as Paul would say in Romans 7, 18, dwelleth no good thing. He would see that and understand that. He saw his righteousness at that moment as God would see his righteousness. God said in Isaiah 64, 6, that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. He saw that he had gone astray. The Bible says, for all we like sheep have gone astray. He saw his own guilt. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know, know that what sort of things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. I'm, I'm positive that all of these things would have flowed through the mind of Isaiah as he saw the Lord and his words of explanation as he cried out that passionate cry of woe is me, he said this, for I am undone. I am undone. It's interesting that that word for undone is translated these, these ways. It's translated as brought to silence in Isaiah 15.1. It's translated as the word cease. In Jeremiah 14, 7, 17. And it's translated as the words utterly cut off in Hosea 10, 15. So saying I am undone is essentially the same as saying I am brought to silence. I have no answer for myself. I am guilty. I cease. I'm at the end of myself. I abhor my sin. I am utterly cut off. I see what my sin has done to me. I am separated from God. That's essentially what he's saying when he says, woe is me. And he explains why he's undone. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips. The word unclean means filthy, lewd, foul by sin. He had an overwhelming conviction of the sins of his mouth, especially when he was in the presence of the Lord. Again, listen, listen to this. I am brought to silence. I cease. I am utterly cut off. That's basically what he's saying when he says, I am undone. And then more than that, he says this. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So yeah, he's just kind of thinking on everybody else. No, he's not. See, he just saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's God's realm. Do we understand that? That's God's realm. That is where God is comfortable. God is comfortable high and lifted up, exalted above everything else. God is completely without sin. He is comfortable in that realm. But that's so different than you and I. It's so different than what Isaiah saw. Isaiah said, I dwell among those that are constantly sinning with their mouth. It was home to him. And to some degree, it was his place of comfort. Wow. You start thinking about 
what we're comfortable with. Could the distinction between where God dwells and where man dwells be any more distinct? Reminds me of how great a gulf God had to span to save the likes of you and me. A great, great gulf. I'm ashamed at how comfortable I am in the realm of sin. I mean, we live among it. We hear it all the time. We watch it. We listen to it. We don't stand up against it. It's like we're comfortable with it. It's so opposite to what God is. And so as Isaiah saw God as he he is, Isaiah saw himself as he was, he realized, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Again, he's saying, I'm brought to silence. I have no answer for myself. I am guilty. I cease. I'm at the end of myself. I abhor my sin. I am utterly cut off. I see what my sin has done. I have separated myself from my God by my sin. And basically, his conclusion is, if you think about it, is I have no value for God. You know... As I looked at myself in the mirror physically, I saw a little value in my looks. I realized there weren't going to be any magazines seeking to put my picture on the front of the magazine as, you know, for other men to emulate, try to be, try to make them, their wives, you know, them jealous about their wives looking at my looks. Not much value in that. As I look at myself in the mirror of the word of God, I'll be honest with you, I see little value in my life. My sin is so glaring against the backdrop of God's holiness. It's just amazing. If I'm honest, at times, that can be paralyzing to my spiritual condition. Uh, when I'm praying and fasting and asking God to show me what I really am, when he does show me, it can bring me to a place of despair of being undone in my mind. And I can begin to think things like this, and we have, and I'm sure you have if you've been saved for much time at all. I am so bad, God can't use me. I am so bad, I will never be able to accomplish anything for God. I am so bad, I cannot move from this place of shame. But Isaiah quickly did move from that place. As I was studying this a while back, it just like it just hit me like it never had before. How quickly he moved from this place of being undone to a place of volunteering for the Lord's service. Not long after seeing himself as he truly was, he says to the Lord, Here am I. I mean, he's at the point of saying, Lord, don't look at me. I'm ashamed. I am so undone. And then all of a sudden he's saying, here am I. Send me. Very quickly, he hears God speaking to himself. Can you imagine? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Another one of those instances where you have the triune God. 
There's obviously a job God wanted done. He needed to send someone to do this job. He needed someone to go for him. Not to go for himself, but to go for the Lord. And this Isaiah, who just a few moments ago was paralyzed in a spiritual funk, speaks up, here am I, send me. The man who is undone is now volunteering for the work of the Lord. There's an amazing transformation. In fact, there's an amazing confidence that suddenly has come into the life of Isaiah. His confidence that says this, I believe God will use me. I believe God will use me. I believe that I can get the job done that God wants done. I can be on God's team. Wow. So, what got Isaiah from woe is me to here am I? What took place that transitioned him quickly from that place of utter despair to that place of, hey, I can serve God. I can do what God wants me to do. In between woe is me and here am I, something of great value takes place. It'll get him out of that paralyzed state and it'll invigorate him with confidence to be used of God. So what happened? The Bible describes how one of the seraphim flew to him. He had a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. By the way, isn't there an altar in heaven? There is. He had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon Isaiah's dirty mouth. And listen to what he declares. This, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. The live coal is just this burning, fiery coal. By the way, fire is used in the Bible as a type of purification. In the book of Malachi, as the Lord is predicting about him coming, he talks there in Malachi 3 that uh, uh, he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify that he may offer the Lord. He, there he's talking about that he is a refiner's fire. He's going to come and he will use that fire to refine, to purify. The Lord would come and do that with his people. He would purge them. They would feel the heat, if you will, of their unrighteousness being burned away. That guilt, that sin... The Lord does that, and when it's gone, they would have the value, if you will, like that silver, that gold would, it, when the impurities are being taken away, then it would have the, the value that God wanted it to have. Then their offering, if you read that passage in Malachi, it's interesting, then their offering would be in righteousness. It would be pleasant to the Lord. So what got Isaiah from, woe is me to hear am I? Simply put, the word purification comes to mind. Being purified. Being purified. God cleansed him. God cleansed him. He didn't cleanse himself. God cleansed him. And in that cleansing, Isaiah gained the confidence needed to give his life for the Lord. We may come to from time to time. In our relationship with the Lord, especially as we're looking into the mirror, we may come from time to time to that place where we look and go, woe is me. I'm so ashamed. 
I'm no good. God can't use me. We get so paralyzed in realizing and reminding ourselves of what we've done. Do you know, the Lord is in the, clean, the cleansing business, in the purification business. You remember what it says in 1 John 1? Verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now listen to this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So as we walk what? In the light. In the light. The light reveals things as they are. As God shows us who we are and what we are. We walk in that light. It's like, Lord, you see it. But that's why he shed his blood. To cleanse us from all sin. Did you know the blood of Jesus Christ is in heaven right now? Sitting upon that altar? And you know, when that term it says cleanses, it means it's an action that keeps on happening. It keeps on cleansing us from our sin. It's an amazing thing to think that the blood of Jesus Christ is still speaking for us. It's covered. It's under the blood. It's like the Father saying, I've got it taken care of. It's done. It's done. Wow. Don't you love this verse? If we confess our sins. Got to stop there for a moment. This is not like I was talking to a man who, he's a nice guy, but the marbles are not all in a row. And he told me that he, these dreams and aspirations he has are, are just beyond his ability to, to attain. But anyway, if he was ever put in this situation where he had to do something sinful is what he told me, I, I will just go and confess it. No, that's not the way. This is not, you know, our, our way of, of, you know, indulgences. If we confess our sin really literally means if we'll get honest with God and we'll see our sin as God sees it. If we confess our sins. Can't play games with God. You know, all of us growing up at one time or another would tell our parents, well, I didn't mean to do that when we meant to do that. I mean, you did something bad, so you got in trouble, but, but you tried to alleviate, you know, what you were doing, but well, I didn't really mean to do that. I didn't really mean to push her down the stairs, you know, and, uh, and stuff. Hey, I'm telling you, God knows. It's like, hey, stop playing games with God. Just get honest about your sin. He sees it. He knows what it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, listen to this, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Yes, child of God, it's not a pretty picture of self when we see ourselves as we truly are. It's not good. And we can become undone from time to time. Sometimes this happens not as a result of spending time drawing close to the Lord. Sometimes it happens when we fall on our face because of our sin. We can get to that point as well. But at that point, we need to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. 
It's amazing how the Lord then can do some things for our lives. We can become undone, but as quickly as we get there, we can enjoy the purging, if you will, of our sins and the forgiveness that comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the blood, we're able then to be what God wants us to be. And we can tell ourselves, you know what? I can be used of God. I can be used of God. Can I remind you, God has never used any man that didn't have a sinful problem. Probably the greatest Christian that we ever lived was the Apostle Paul. And he said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He said, hey, when I, when, I, when I want to do right, I do wrong. God's never used a man or a woman that wasn't sinful. God knows how to clean us up. He's in the cleaning up business. We can be used of God. Can I remind you, Satan probably has your rap sheet. And he likes to remind you. Does God remind you? So, you know, you did something you shouldn't have done, you said something you shouldn't have said, and you actually confessed it, and the Lord forgave you. Does he bring it up again? Would Satan bring it up again? He would remind you. He would remind you. And so he does have a pretty good record of your life. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he won't mind putting some thoughts into your head of your own unworthiness of not being any good for God. But you know what? Let's remind ourselves he's a liar. He's a liar. We saw this morning his first lie. He's a liar. That's what he's the father of all lies. If we're saved, we have been forgiven. And if we will walk in the light, get out of the darkness. You know, you stumble and fall in your sin and you say, man, I'm no good. Hey, get out of the darkness. Start walking in the light. So the Lord can show you those things and you can confess them. And he will cleanse you and use you. It's amazing. I don't have to live in the woe is me. In fact, that's just a ploy of Satan to tell me I'm not good enough to serve God. Because God's in the business of saying, hey, I need somebody to go. He's looking for somebody to say, here am I, send me. I know God's in the business of using clean vessels. God wants us to be a vessel fit for the master's use. He wants us to be clean and ready that at any moment, that at any time, if he has a job being done, that we would be able to do that job in service to our master. And yeah, we've got to see ourselves as we are, but you know what? We've got to be thankful for that blood that washes away our sins. I was about, I was six years old when I got saved. And uh, I had, for a long time, been struggling with this whole heaven and hell thing. To be honest with you, I was scared about the whole hell thing. I didn't want to die and burn in hell. And so as a young boy, I would get beside my bed at night and I would pray, God, save me. Why? Because I was scared of hell. I really didn't understand what salvation necessarily was about. I didn't understand why I needed to be saved. I just don't want to go to that horrible place. Then I was sitting in a service one night, and the sweet 
Spirit of God brought me to this place of being undone. He helped me to realize what a wicked, little, rotten kid I was. Seriously. Man, I was like embarrassed. I remember in that service, this is what I felt like. It was a youth camp, and I'm six years old. At youth camps, most people don't like, you know, most teenagers don't like six-year-old, six-year-old boys. You know, they're just a pain, in the, you know, and so, anyway. But I felt like there was a, this big spotlight shining at me, and everybody else could see how wicked I was. I really did. I, I realize now the Spirit of God has helped me to understand I was as sinful and wicked. And that night, I got on my knees at the altar, and I confessed that I was a sinner, that I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and asked him to save me, and that night he did. I didn't realize it that night, I, I, like I do now, but he forgave my sins. He washed me in the blood of the Lamb. That's what salvation is all about. That's what Calvary was all about. So he can pay the price for you. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, hey, listen, he can save you from your sins and forgive them all. Why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? He did all the work. He will save you. And you know what? Christian, after we've been saved for a while sometimes, we have to take an honest look at ourselves. It's good to get in the mirror of the word of God and let him show us. Yeah, that's me, Lord. You ever do that? Oh, man, that's me. Spending time asking him to forgive you. But you know what? That's walking in the light. And he forgives us and we're able to go on and serve the Lord. I dare say that there's some folks in here tonight, you've had those thoughts. Eh, I'm no good. God could never use me. I'm just telling you, you don't know the power of the blood of Christ. You don't know how great God actually is in his forgiveness and his cleansing ability. He can absolutely clean a life up. He wants to clean yours up. Hey, how quickly can we go from woe is me to here am I? I know there are some sins we commit that we would not be able to do certain things in the service of God. But don't, don't for one moment think that God could never use you. Amen. There's something God can use you for. And I want to be used. Amen. I'll close with this. I used to play a lot of baseball. And uh, I was good enough that for the most part I wasn't a bench sitter. I played most of the time until I was in the 11th grade. The high school team. The 11th grade, I had a, there was a 12th grader who was, uh, I caught, I was catcher, and he was like twice my size, and he was awesome, and he was very good. He was all league and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't get to play much. I hate, I hate sitting on the bench. I want to be out there playing. I, but in my mind, I knew he's better than me. He should be playing. But you know what? Hey, if he was at bat or on base or something, he wasn't ready to warm the pitcher up, I was out there in a heartbeat. I wanted in between innings, you know, when somebody's got to warm the pitcher up, I was always right there. No one ever had to tell me to go because I was waiting. I was looking for an opportunity. Hey, you know what? When they needed someone to coach first base when we were at bat, I was always out there. The coach never had to ask for somebody. I was always there. 
I was always involved in every aspect. Anything I could do, I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be involved. I don't understand Christians who don't want to be involved. I do understand what I preach tonight. Sometimes we think I'm not good enough. But you know what? The blood of Jesus Christ is. We need to get involved. We need to get involved. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.